everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. We appreciate you guys coming and doing some some special music for us as well and for the out-of-town folks, but happy Easter, everyone. I'm excited to celebrate what is considered the most important day for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Uh, Literally all over the world today, people have celebrated the life, the death, and the resurrection of our risen Savior. Uh, We're kind of on the tail end of that, so some of those people who started celebrating are are already in bed, or or, you know, they're kind of laying down and going, you know, we've celebrated all day long, now it's time, but we are in the middle of our celebration. And so, um, let's just take a moment and let's just give a hand clap for Jesus for rising from the grave, for being alive, right? So my name is Matt Boyd. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor of this church called Sojourn. We are a uh, newer church that are, I like to say, we're made up of ordinary people changed by the love of Jesus that are living out his mission to our community, our city, and our world. Um, I'm not sure of your background this evening for all of you. I'm not sure of your experience with church. You may not have any, but think of us more of a a community, more of a a family. We like to say that we're a family that love and care for one another, and we're a family that cares for our community. And so we've formed some partnerships in our city with Vernon Elementary School and the Concordia Neighborhood Association and the Portland Rescue Mission. As you saw, we have our serve night coming up. And so we, we are inviting people to join us on a journey and learning what it means to follow Jesus faithfully in this city. The theme of our sermon tonight, as you'll see behind me, is this is love, which got me thinking about how I fell in love. Sorry, the kids need to go downstairs. So let's start all this all over. Someone else should have announced that, so sorry. Kids under age of six can go downstairs, and then we'll pick back up. Feel free to grab some coffee. All right, so this got me thinking about the theme of love and and how I fell in love Um, at the young age of 18. I had the opportunity to travel to Argentina. I was was on this trip, and I met this beautiful woman by the name of Andrea Gonzalez, who would eventually go on to become Andrea Boyd. And when it was time for me to declare my ever-dying love and commitment to her, I worked really, really hard. I was in college. I was working a full-time job. So I worked hard to, one, pay for plane tickets, because plane tickets aren't cheap when you go to South America. I also worked really, really hard to buy her the best engagement ring that a 19-year-old can buy, which, when you look back now, it's really not that nice, but it was what I could buy at the time, right? It's a thought that counts. When I see some of these ladies now, bling, bling, and I'm like, whoa, oh, wait a minute, I was 19. Of course I couldn't have bought that. And, and then I, I went to, I wanted in person to ask her for her hand in marriage, to make this commitment, this lifelong commitment of ours, official. Now imagine with me for a moment if I had said, you know what, I'm in love with Andrea, and I called up a friend of hers or a relative and said, can you, can you go to her house and knock on her door and just let her know that I'm madly in love with her? And while you're there, just let her know that I'm going to ask her to marry, or go ahead and ask her to marry me, see if she will. Now, that would be absolutely ridiculous. Okay, and for you single guys in the room, don't do that. If you're like, yeah, that's a good idea, I'll just send her a text message or a message on Facebook. Don't do that. Right? When it comes to matters of love, you, you need to go yourself and declare your love for somebody. You need to make sure that you are, you are the one actively doing it, actively participating in it. And so when it came to my love for Andrea, I'm the one that went to her to ask for her to be my girlfriend. 
I'm the one who went to her father first to ask for his permission for her hand in marriage. And then I'm the one who went and asked for her hand in marriage. And then when it came time for our wedding, we faced each other face to face at the marriage altar and made a covenant, a lifelong covenant and commitment to one another. And I did all of that in person. I actively went to do those things. I tell you that because the radical truth of the Christian message is that God came himself to declare his love to you and to me and to our world. Now, if you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels because they recount the life of Jesus. And the Gospel really is a word meaning good news. And there's good news being declared in those books. And so tonight, we're actually going to be looking in the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 3, which contains the good news for the whole world. And this good news is going to tell us that we can look to Jesus, and by looking at Jesus, we can find salvation. If you're here this evening, you're just checking things out, or, or maybe you're exploring faith, or maybe you're re-exploring church because you've drifted away, we're thrilled that you're here. I believe that you came on an excellent night where you can celebrate one of the most important days in our calendar, which, by the way, if you come back next week, you're probably going to hear a similar message, and if you come back the following week and the following week, you're going to hear a similar type message, because we get to declare this, and we get to celebrate this every single week. We do set this aside as, as kind of a special day along with the world around us, but we really get to declare it every single week, and so if you do come back, you might say, man, this guy talks about this same event all the time, and really preaches the same two or three messages, and if that's what you end up saying, then good. That's how it should be. But tonight we're going to look at a great passage to consider as it tells us much about what makes Christianity unique. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We have blue Bibles in the back. Uh, if you, you feel free to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours to keep. The words will also be uh, behind my head on the screen if you can see around them. And we're going to start by looking at what is the most quoted and most known verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. This is the verse that you see on poster boards at sporting events, right? You'll see people holding up John 3.16. This is the verse that you'll see on bumper stickers. Well, maybe not so much in our city, but if you get to the suburban and rural areas, you'll start seeing the bumper stickers, right? They say John 3.16. This is typically the first verse that a child is taught. And it wouldn't surprise me if most of us in here could quote some version or some, some you know, part of this verse. This verse captures the essence of the Christian message we celebrate today and every Sunday as it tells us what God is like. And while people love quoting John 3.16, I believe that many people play, functionally play Russian roulette with the idea of God's love. It's only a he loves me, he loves me not type of version. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So maybe you're in here and recently you got a promotion. So naturally you're like, God loves me. Right? The higher being loves me, I got a promotion. Maybe you're in here and you got fired recently. And you're like, God doesn't love me. Right? I got fired. There's no way that if he loved me that I, that would have happened. Or maybe you got engaged, as, as I recounted when I was 19, and you're like, he loves me, right? This is great. Maybe you found out that you have a, a sickness. Maybe, maybe you or someone close to you got diagnosed with cancer recently. And so you're going, no, he, he doesn't love me. Do you think about God's love like this? Is it based upon your circumstances? It was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what is it when you think about God? How is it that you think about God? Do you think about this far-off being? Do you think about this as close, intimate Savior? Maybe you believe in God's love, but you are convinced He doesn't love you. Perhaps you believe that God's love is conditional, and given your background, you're convinced there's no way that God could love me. Maybe you're in here and, you're in here and you failed morally, 
Maybe you have an addiction to drugs or alcohol. Or maybe you're a liar and a cheat, you, and at work you, you steal things when given the opportunity. And as a result, you have decided that if there is a God, and there's a God of love, that there's no way that He could love you because of the things that you have done. You have decided that of all of God's creation, you're just too unlovable. If you're in here and that is you, this verse is going to be a good verse for us to look at tonight. And for you to take to heart as you will learn what makes Christianity unique when compared to any other faith. Because if you studied any other faith, that pretty much is their message. You have messed up. And, and you, you cannot get access to God because you can never do enough good stuff, right? When I lived in India, my wife and I lived there for a couple years, and I did out with Muslims and with Hindus and Buddhists and all these other faiths. It was always kind of a similar message. You try really, really hard in hopes that God will accept you. Well, Christianity is actually the opposite of that. You're never going to do enough works. You're never going to do enough good things. You can, you can try all day to pull up your bootstraps and roll up your sleeves and say, I'm just going to work at it. I'm not going to look at that again on the Internet. I'm not going to steal again. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do these things. And you know what? You probably end up will doing those things. But Christianity has flipped that message upside down and said that Jesus had already declared it's done. And that's what we're celebrating today, that Jesus took all of that on himself. And so you can rest in what he has done for you and the offer that he has given to you. The term gospel, which you've already heard me use many times, and really if you hang out with us very often, our three values are gospel family mission. And so gospel is the good news, the good news that we're proclaiming to the world around us. And in short, we've all found ourselves broken, every single one of us. I don't care if you already call yourself a Christian or you don't call yourself a Christian, you're somewhere in between, not really sure. We've all found ourselves broken in need of restoration from God. The good news, the gospel, is that God in Jesus, He gives us hope for that healing and restoration to take place. So maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, you know what, I have no hope. I'm so glad that you're here because I believe you're going to walk out of here tonight having a hope that you didn't have when you walked in. And if you want to know some good news, you don't have to live with the uncertainty of God's love. I think that is really what it boils down to. Is people have this uncertainty. They walk around like, now, there's, now I believe God loved me, and maybe you can point to a stage of life, but now I've done it again. I've messed up too many times. There's no way He could continue to love me. And I believe you'll walk out tonight with more certainty of God's love for you. And so my hope this evening is that you see the glory and certainty of God's saving love from John 3.16, and we'll look at verse 17 as well. So let's start by reading... John 3.16, for which I'm sure many of you won't even need to read it. So, in fact, let's just read it with me. I'll try to move my head out of the way here for, for most of you. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His own Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Let me pray before we continue. God, we thank You that we can come to You and worship freely in this country. God, we thank You that we can come and celebrate this day of Easter where we celebrate that Jesus has risen. God, I ask in our few minutes as we look at what is the most known quoted verse of the Bible, God, that it would impact us, every single one of us, in a new way. Maybe something we hadn't realized or thought of before. And God, I ask that your presence would be in this place and that you would move throughout this room and that you would tug on hearts and people's minds. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This verse is the most famous summary of the gospel, the good news in the entire Bible. God's love for the world means that He loved the people that inhabited the earth so much 
that he made it possible, it says, for whoever believes in Christ to have eternal life. Whoever. That would include all of us in this room. And so God initiated his love for us by moving towards us. Okay? So most of us think it's opposite. All right? God's going to move away from us because of what we're doing. But God moves towards us and initiates his love for us. And let me tell you why this matters and is important for those of us in this room. In a room filled with this many people, I am well aware that we have people in here that are struggling in some area of life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is that if I said who's struggling in some area of life, every single one of us would have to raise our hands. Okay, so let's, let's get the weirdness and the awkwardness out of the way. We all have struggles. Okay, and if I won't make you guys raise your hands. I'll raise my hands. I, even I have struggles. So we all have some kind of struggle in here. You know, and these vary, and I don't, I don't know what you're dealing with, but maybe there's various addictions present in the room tonight. There's likely someone, if not multiple people, in here struggling with depression. There may be marital issues happening right now in this room. And even though every single person walked in here with a smile, and you got your donut, and you got your coffee, we all know that sometimes when you're going to something like this, on the way you run into traffic, you hit every single light. Maybe you have an argument, to put it nicely. Maybe you're not having to yell at one of your kids, who's just, you know, all day long, has just been nagging you. Right? So we know that these things happen. These are realities. The realities of life's problems. They hit us in the face, don't they? It's easy to come into here. It's easy for me to say these things and, and for even you to nod your head in agreement. But then we walk out that door and we might trip on the way out. And then we actually hit life's reality. The, the problems that we face. This is because apart from God, we are all broken human beings. Every single one of us. None of us get off the hook. And maybe you arrived here tonight and maybe you're feeling lonely. Or maybe you ended up here because you're feeling desperate. Maybe you, you were just like, you know what? I've tried everything else. Might as well try this as well. Or maybe you just are outright angry at life tonight. And you're just sitting there just, I'm mad. I don't even know what I'm mad at any longer. I don't know what all is going on in the room tonight. But what I do know is that regardless of any of those things, or what is happening in your world around you, what we just read in this verse is that God, the God of the universe, even in our brokenness, He leaned in toward us. That includes you. That includes your problems. And not away from us. And He initiated His love for us. And God's love led to a specific action. An action that we would need, by the way. There's no other way that this story would work. By meeting us right in the middle of our brokenness, right in the middle of our filth and our stinkiness, which resulted in God, it says He gave His only Son. And how did He do this? By sending Him to earth to be the righteousness that we would need and to suffer and to die in order to bear the penalty of sins. 1 John 2.2 2, in the message tells us that when He served as a sacrifice for our sins, He solved the sin problem for good. Not only ours, but the whole world's. And so what Christ did on the cross, what we're really kind of celebrating this weekend, that, that was good enough for all of time. So that you don't have to continue yourself to now go and, and have these little sacrifices. And He did it for the entire world. It took care of on the cross. He said, it is finished. It is done. To the world, good news has come. And we're here to declare that good news to you tonight. And it tells us He did this because of His great love for us. Have you ever accepted this love? Have you ever accepted this message that has been offered to you? The purpose of giving His Son was to make God's great gift of eternal life available to anyone, any single person. So even right now for a moment, maybe you think, okay, 
I'm not sure about I stand with God's love, and I'm not sure if God can love me. But now think of the person that is the most horrendous individual to you and think, man, there's no way. Even that person, God's love covers them as well. He says, whoever believes in Him, whoever personally trusts in Him, will not perish. Perish where? To eternal judgment. You know, separation from God. But they will have eternal life, a life of abundant joy and immeasurable blessing in the presence of God forever. Now, those of us in Christ already in the room, we understand that we're already experiencing this in the present time. Not yet fully, but in some significant measure. This is kind of the already but not yet kind of idea. And this verse tells us more about God and His plan for salvation for His world than any other verse in the Bible. Really, this is where it, just, it all boils down to John 3.16. This is why we see it quoted so many places. If you guys remember the football player Tim Tebow, this is why he eventually changed it and put it underneath his, his eyes because he was like, oh, the world's going to be watching and maybe people will go look up that verse and, and see what it says. So here's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell is that God is the source of love. So when you talk about love, our city likes to talk about love, right? That's one of the things we do like to celebrate talk about. Like, God is a source of love. The world is the extent of love. And so God's love extends to the entire world. It's not only for you and for your family, although it is for you and your family, it's for the entire world. And His only Son, Jesus, is the sacrifice of love. And the results of love is whoever believes. Whoever believes this message and follows. So God's ultimate act of goodness, His compassion and power was displayed right here in this verse. God alone is perfect and loving, which means that He alone is the source of all goodness and love. By God giving of His Son, He was giving of Himself. Right? God came to us because He loved us. He came to declare His love for you. He came to declare His love for me and for our world. This is why we celebrate Easter. Then we see in verse 17 that God is going to show us His saving intention. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So Jesus is the one sent into the world. And we see that He is not sent to condemn the world, but rather He is sent so that the world can be saved. All this is issued by God, the sender, rather than the one being sent. And so to summarize, we'd say, So God, in His great love, sent the Son to save sinners. Well, let me, let me be clear here. Christ came to sinner, save sinners, which includes every single one of us. But in order to be saved, we need to repent. This is the divine offer of salvation to the whole world, to a world full of sinners. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that part. Well, what good is a Savior if there's nothing that we need to be saved from? Why, why would there even need to be a Savior? And Jesus displayed God's great love by dying for sinners. And so although we all found ourselves in this really broken situation, and we found ourselves desperate and going, I don't know what to do, God said, I still love you. Even though we got ourselves into the mess, and He said, I'm going to send someone because I love you, and it was sending His Son, Jesus. So here's a logical question, and you may be thinking this. How did He do that? What these two verses tell us is that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So focus in with me for a minute. Because this means that God, created the universe, right? God, that's who we're talking about here. He, can, he, he comes in flesh. He lives a perfect, spotless life, righteous life, that you and I, by God's grace, are given and granted so that when God looks at us, He instead sees the righteousness of Jesus. Right? Did you get that? How, how God looks at Jesus, His Son, who's perfect, who's spotless, because He sent Jesus to love us, 
there's this exchange that he allows to take place where now, if you're in Christ, if you've followed and accepted and believed this message, you are looked at that way. So if you are in Christ, and I know we could all attest, do we still have struggles? Yes. But in, even in the midst of that struggle, when God looks at you, he sees you as Jesus, as the righteousness of Jesus. And then all of your sin, your rebellion, your past, your present, and your future are somehow put on Christ, and he's able to absorb them fully. Now, here's the thing. Most people don't refute that Jesus was a historical character and that he died because eventually everyone dies. Right? It's not very often that I meet someone who refutes that part of Jesus. They go, okay, there was this guy named Jesus, and yes, history records him. He was, maybe he was like a Gandhi type of figure or a crazy lunatic, I'm not sure. And, oh, they, and they, they say he died. Yes, yeah, everyone dies. Okay, not most of us refute that. So if Jesus dies on the cross, but he isn't raised from the dead, then how do we know sin has been defeated and that death is dead? We don't, which is why we're really celebrating here tonight. Yes, we, we talk about the cross a lot and what Christ did on the cross, but if he stayed on the cross or if he stayed in the tomb, then we're wasting our time tonight. Okay, I mean, it's great to have a party, but I probably wouldn't set it up this way if we were just having a party. All right? I'm just being real here. We'd be wasting our time if, this, if he just stayed dead. What we're really here to celebrate tonight is that Jesus is alive. And Jesus did die. I do believe that part. He died on our behalf, and by doing so, he conquered death, the grave, and he resurrected. The resurrection for those of us in Christ represents the apex of God's love manifested for us in Jesus. New York Times best-selling author Tim Keller says, Why did Jesus have to die in order to forgive us? Because there was a debt to be paid. God himself paid it. There was a penalty to be bore, and God himself bore it. Forgiveness is always a form of costly suffering. So there's only two kinds of people in the world. Okay, so you fit one of these two categories. I know you're going to try to add a third one, but there's only two. The first is, there's those of you who have accepted this offer of love, salvation, and you have everlasting life as a result. The second kind of person is those of you who are condemned already for not believing and accepting this offer in Jesus and having faith in this message. So you either have accepted and believed and you have eternal life with him or you've rejected it and you don't have eternal life with him. My question is, what kind of person are you? But we're told the answer right here in this verse. It says, whoever believes is not condemned. So if you say, I don't want to be one of those in the second category. I don't want to be one of those who's eternally separated from God. The good news is you don't have to be. You don't have to continue to be. There is an offer for you. The offer is, it says, believe in Jesus. Whoever believes, believe in Jesus. John Stott says, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We like to put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God puts himself where we deserve to be. So why can't we only focus on God's love? You know, people, I'll talk to people and say, why do you have to get into the cross? Like, I love that this is love part and just love and flowers and happiness. Like, I love that part. Why do we have to talk about the cross and sin and darkness and brokenness? Because without the cross of Christ, you don't have a God of love. Because there was a penalty. And the penalty, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, something had to be paid. That's why we can't talk about God's love without talking about the cross. And I want every single one of us to have a chance to accept this message of love and to receive Christ this evening if you never have. And so I'm going to extend that offer here in a few minutes. 
So some of you need to come and you need to, to talk to one of our prayer team members. We have people that are willing to talk to you. Any, anybody in here? Some of you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus today. You may be sitting there and asking yourself, is it reasonable to believe this message? I mean, we're in the city of Portland. Do you really think it's reasonable to believe this message of Jesus and to accept this message? Think of it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it is reasonable and you have to accept all that he said. Okay? If he didn't rise from the dead, then it is not reasonable and why worry about any of what he said? If he didn't actually rise from the dead, then, then, then take this book and throw it in the trash. Roll it up. Smoke it, right? People in our city do that. And they have every right to if this message didn't actually happen. But let's be real. The resurrection is what makes us Christians look so foolish to the world around us. I know that. Some of you in here might be thinking that. Like, man, you are... No, you really lost it. Like, you're off your rocker. You actually believe that this guy came back from the dead? And here's the truth. I've personally never been offended when someone who doesn't believe this message, that's what they say. Because I was right there with them. Right? If you don't believe this message, that is foolish. Like, they, they believe a dead guy came back, you know. I've been to funerals before, and they've never come back out of that casket. I never heard it knocking, you know. As a kid, I was scared. You know, you walk by, you're like, are they, are they going to pop out of the box? Right? Jesus is the only one I know has popped out. Okay? And so I've never been offended when someone's like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are foolish for believing this message. But the resurrection is what changed it for me. It was what changed everything for me. Realizing that this actually took place and it wasn't just some made-up story. As I studied the history of Scripture, I realized that the majority of the apostles and the early Christian leaders were killed for their faith. Right? Why would they be killed for their faith if this didn't actually happen? If they knew it was made up and they made it like, why would they go through that pain and agony? Living overseas in, in South Asia, I worked with people who were persecuted, who had family members who were killed for their faith. Right? I basically should be put in jail if this message isn't real because I was training and equipping these people to go and share this message that I knew that would potentially endanger their lives, right? You guys might want to call the authorities on me tonight. <laughs> and the reality is that history records that up to 500 witnesses saw Jesus alive 40 days after his death on the cross when he'd, when he'd come back out. 500 people. I mean, how many more people do we need? We believe so much of other history that we don't, like, maybe one person saw it and we're like, oh, well, I studied it in school and they taught it to me, so I believe. Like, how much more evidence do you need to believe this truth, this fact? Maybe you're not quite there yet, and that's okay. But here are two statements from a former pastor of mine about this message that are almost impossible to believe. He says, in Christ, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. And nothing you can do that would make him love you less. In Christ, your history does not determine your identity or your destiny. So what's my point? My point is that God loves you when you've run away. Now some of you, maybe you're in here tonight, maybe you're running. God loves you when you've rejected him. And some of you are at that place where you've said, you know what, I'm just, no, I can't have it. And God loves you when you're in the dark. Jesus is the light and he wants to shine on you tonight. And God loves you when you resist his grace. And some of you have determined, I'm going to resist the grace and love of God. I want nothing to do with it. And God loves you as he's bringing you back. I believe that's why some of you are in here tonight. You may be here and you're not even sure why you're here. 
You may be, you may be here and not even sure how you got here. <laughs> like, maybe somebody blindfolded you and threw you in the trunk, and, and now you're here. And they're like, we're just going to a party. You know, don't worry about it. We're just going to a party. Like, this is the weirdest party I've ever been to. I'm about dead people coming back to life. <laughs> like, you may not even know why you are here, but I believe that you're here because God is drawing you back to himself. At Sojourn, we like to extend an invitation to people to join us on a journey as we discover what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is taking some of you on a journey tonight and loving you by inviting you back to himself. Will you respond to his invitation? Sally Lloyd-Jones, she's a children's book author. Uh, She wrote a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, by the way, it's not only for children, it's for adults as well. I encourage you to pick it up. I used it in my preparation this week. Uh, She captures the love of God well when covering the message of the cross. So the story goes, so you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Your majesty, they said. Then they whipped him and spat on him. They didn't understand that this was the prince of life, the king of heaven and earth who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our king, and nailed it into a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way that criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they are doing. You say you've come to rescue us, the people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he had called. If you were really the Son of God, you should just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed that little girl and he stilled that storm and when he fed 5,000 people in one day. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand it. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. It wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was love. This is love. It's true. Believe it. Don't doubt it. So what does this mean for us tonight? A couple of things. If Jesus rose from the dead, then this truly changes everything, and we must accept all that he said. If you're not a Christian, you you need Jesus. Not morality, not religion, not even church, but the living Jesus. And I want to invite you to respond in faith tonight by accepting God's love and offer of salvation. You can pray to him today. You can ask for forgiveness of your sins and accept him as the Lord of your life. It's that simple, and he is wanting you and waiting on you with open arms. He says, come to me as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up any more than you've already been cleaned up. It looks like most of you took a shower tonight, and so the offer is there. Come as you are. And so we don't normally do this. We do it from time to time at Sojourn, but I feel like on Easter of all nights, I don't want to miss the opportunity. So this doesn't have to be weird, but I am going to ask everyone just to close their eyes for a moment. If you're the person in this room that maybe needs to respond in this way, then right there in your seat, I just want you to say a prayer from your heart. And it can be something to to this extent. You can pray that I receive your love and offer of salvation. I believe in the resurrection, and that means that you are Lord and you are in charge of my life. With everyone's eyes still closed, if that's you, if you've prayed this prayer, if you've sensed that in your heart, and we'd, we'd love for you to connect with one of our prayer team members. Everyone's eyes are still closed, so if that is you, would you raise your hand to indicate that just so that I could know if God is tugging on your heart at all? Let me pray for us, and then we will transition.
Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.